Welcome to the vault where you can find the code to unlock your success. In this space, I invite real, inspiring and successful experts. We have eye-opening conversations about the way to reach your highest potential in life and in business. We will cover the mastery of mindset, energy, emotions, transformation, sales, marketing, thriving in business without losing your authenticity and balance. Hi, I'm Sonia Martinovic and host of The Vault, an entrepreneur, mindset mastery and online business coach with an obsession on real transformation. I'm on a mission to help entrepreneurs and other influencers master the mindset and build a successful and impactful business. Do you want to break free from your limitations and express your truest self in business and in life? Is growth your game and success your aim? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to the vault. Let's start cracking your code. And welcome to a new episode of The Vault. I'm so excited and honored to have my guests over today where we have so much to discuss. It's going to be about leadership, but also about persuasion, communication, and whatever comes up to make sure you drive that positive change in life and that you actually have a life of success and fulfillment. So Stephen McGarvey is an international speaker. He's an expert on persuasion and influence and the founder of a boutique consulting firm, Solutions in Mind. He assists corporations and audiences around the world in solving difficult communication problems by guiding them on an engaging, fast-paced, fascinating journey inside the unconscious mind. His new book is the USA Today and Wall Street Journal number one bestseller, Ignite a Shift, Engaging Minds, Guiding Emotions, and Driving Behavior. I'm super excited to have you here today, Stephen. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Sonia. It's a pleasure to be here and to chat with you. Yeah, absolutely. And we just had a chat about many subjects before we started the podcast. And I would love for you to share a little bit about why you wrote this book and the story behind the book. Well, it, it's funny because the last thing I ever thought I would do, Sonia, is write a book. I, I failed grade two. They told me I was learning disabled. My spelling is terrible. I spell phonetically and you can't even spell phonetics phonetically. <laughs> so I, I never dreamt I would ever write a book. And a lot of our clients kept saying, when are you going to write a book? When are you going to write a book? When are you going to write a book? And I thought, you know what? We have a, a broad enough client base that even if I just self-publish and and give it out at our, our seminars and, and our, our sessions that we do with clients, and then it, it kind of like a snowball going downhill, it sort of started to build from there. And the next thing we knew, we hit the number one Wall Street Journal bestseller list and USA Today bestseller list. And we got picked up by a publisher, Morgan James Publishing out of the US. And so it, it sort of took on a life of its own once we started down that track, but it's not something I ever thought I would do. And it really came from the demand from our customers and, and really the benefit that we were able to add in teaching them how their thinking impacts their emotional state and drives their behavior and how if we... And as we engage and guide our customers' minds, it shifts the state that they're in, which drives us a different set of behaviors. Yeah, absolutely. So usually people make decisions from the state that they're in, right? And the way absolutely. that they think. So how does this come up? In what kind of areas does this come up? It comes up in sales. It comes up in marketing. It comes up in, in medicine with physicians and how they interact with patients. Yes. Look at things like the placebo effect or the nocebo effect or adherence compliance with medication. So I would say it comes up across the board in communication. 
yeah. both personally and professionally. Yeah, absolutely. And and what would you say? How could how could you influence? How could you influence people? And let me ask this question correctly. Influence people and just also feel a lot of integrity with it because there is so much happening yeah. in the current world, especially online. So I just really wanted to touch on, on that subject. And it, it's a really good word. In fact, when we communicate about influence, we always say influencing with integrity. And I, I think the key to recognize is when we're dealing with especially the most powerful influencing tools on the planet, it's important to recognize it. I always tell people it's like a hammer. It's not the hammer that's good or bad. It's the person who's holding the hammer and they could use it to destroy something or they could use it to build a shelter and, and protect people. So I, I think with any of these kinds of psychological tools or techniques, if we want to call them that, I think it really it, it's based on the integrity of the individual that's using them. So you're always going to have people in any profession in the world that use it for their own self-interest and gain. And you're going to have those that fortunately use it to help others and to benefit others. And I, I think really that's the the, con the conscience check where yeah. I've got to check within myself and say, you know, why am I doing this? What's the intention behind it? Mm -hmm. Dr. Milton Erickson, a world-renowned psychiatrist, was accused of being manipulative with his, and he would always say, life is one big manipulation. It's not yeah. whether or not we're manipulating. It's what's the intention behind the manipulation. Yeah. And, so if, if, for example, you've coached a lot of people and when people come to you for coaching, I'm, I'm sure part of the things that you do initially is help them determine what they want as an outcome yeah. and, and make sure that outcome is well-defined and well-formed in, in, in paper or in their minds so they have the best chance of succeeding at it. So it's, it's less about what you want. It's more about what they want for themselves yeah. and yeah. how do you facilitate and interact with them in a way that helps them break through their barriers and boundaries and and limiting beliefs and, and helps them accomplish what they want to accomplish with life. Oh my gosh, I really love an organic flow in a conversation, but I had like a gazillion questions coming in my mind while you were speaking, but I just really wanted to touch upon one subject, which is happening, for example, on in online coaching business a lot, and I, I suppose in every business, right? So what I noticed, there is a lot of clickbait, there is a lot of marketeers that are speaking to the pain and it's very important but it, it sometimes it's very manipulative what is the risk in that i think the risk in it is not being aware of when it's being done to you mm. one of my favorite books that i've read probably three or four times is by robert cialdini and he's a psychologist who looks at the laws of influence and he wrote that first book not so much to teach people how to influence but to teach people how influence was being done to them. Yeah. And so I, I think the more aware we are of the various techniques, the more we can defend and protect ourselves against those that are using them with less than ethical scruples. Yeah. <laughs> if that's even a word, but you know what I'm getting at. They're using it for their own personal gain. And, and I think it, it's a shame. And we, the more educated we are in this subject matter, the more we can defend and protect ourselves against those that are using it against our best. Yeah, I, I definitely want to ask you a question on that one. I just wanted to share a quick story. So maybe a little less than a decade ago, I worked for Heineken. So, and Heineken has like different brands underneath it. So also drinks and everything. So there was a drink, which is called Crystal Clear. I don't know if you have them in Canada, but Crystal Clear had some merchandise material and one was a chopstick. And I was working there as a, as a sales manager. 
And I took this chopsticks and I put it on my lips. And I noticed that my lips were getting drier and drier and drier. And I was quite young at that moment. So I was thinking, why is this chopstick just making my lips so dry? And then when I talked to the marketing part of Crystal Clear, they actually told me it was on purpose. So I would have brand awareness and, and be thirsty and drink Crystal Clear, which for me was absolutely crazy and such a manipulative way of marketing. So how, how do you feel that people can, in, in order for you to have trust and a long journey with a client, it's also important to take this in your branding and your marketing. What would you recommend then? How can they really influence and know when they're influenced in a, with its integrity? I think when, when people are influencing someone else based on what's best for the other person. Oh. And when we look at brands and we look at businesses, I mean, there's always a, a, a self-centered component with any kind of brand. I mean, yeah. we look at big brands that hire athletes or hire celebrities of whatever nature. They yeah. hire them when they're at their peak because they know those emotional connections and those positive connections that are associated with them will be transferred or connected to the brand. Yeah. And so we'll pay millions of dollars in some cases. And I won't mention any names, but even yeah. recently, there's been celebrities that used to be paid millions that then as soon as something occurred in their career that tainted their image, they get they get disconnected very rapidly from that brand because the brand no longer wants a negative connection with them. Yeah. So when they have a positive image in the, in the public eye and a positive emotional connection, they want to pay for that because that connection is transferable. And then when they have a negative one, they want to break that connection because they don't want that negative connection with the, with that celebrity status or celebrity person. So I think, again, it gets back to, to the more aware we are, the more educated we are, the more we can understand how these things are being used to influence our, our thinking and our emotions and our behavior. And we see it all the time in commercials. Yeah. You know, Could you give an example? So how do you know when you're influenced? What, what are some signs that you can look out for in your opinion? And I think we're being influenced every day. I think when we go into a grocery store and we see candy and, and magazines at the checkout aisle, yeah. we're being influenced. And yeah. is the candy at a lower level or a higher level? Yeah. And, and the more aware we are of these things, the more we see the candy is usually at a lower level. And and who the parents are walking through the grocery store, walking out at the checkout, and the kids are standing there, and, and the candy's all at eye level for those yeah. two. Yeah, so I know. Life is one big manipulation. We just need to pause and ask ourselves, and it's really, it's up to us to be aware of what's in our best interest, what's good for us and what's not. Yeah. And I think we all need to be self-aware enough from an emotional intelligence perspective to then modulate and adjust our behaviors accordingly. So if, if I know I'm, I'm watching a, a Corona commercial and there's two people on chairs on a beach and and I'm like, wow, if I drink Corona, I'll have a life like that. I mean, yeah. these connections, we tell ourselves stories in our own minds yeah. that if I buy that brand, I'll be successful like that person. If I buy that brand or drink that brand of, of beverage, I'll, I'll live a life like that. You look at the, the lottery commercials, they show helicopters landing on mountaintops and people having amazing experiences because they want to manipulate people to buy tickets. And if I buy tickets, maybe I'll win and maybe I'll have that lifestyle. So yeah. I think in general, people can be and, and are and learn to manipulate from their from their kids. Yeah. I mean, 
I, I see the best babies. sales pe people on the planet are kids. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I see. Kids I think my daughter could sell better than Grant Cardone. I'm, I'm serious. So she know, knows how to negotiate. She knows how to ask me what I want, and and then she just has a specific way to to find a solution to get what she wants. So it's it's, it's how we born. And how do you feel, for example, I really follow my intuition a lot more. So I really look at how does it make me feel and does it align with my values and does it align with my goals? And am I not romanticizing the outcome to say so? Is there anything else that you would recommend because our brains are picking up stuff naturally and then see what's the safe option or what's the least resistant path? Right. So our brains have one way of picking stuff up, then it goes through our subconscious mind. And then we also have the emotions. So what else than intuition would you recommend for people to use to make decisions in whether or not to take a chance on something or whether to do take a chance on something, whether to buy or to not buy? I, I think two things, whether you use the word trust your gut or trust your intuition or pause, take a moment and pause rather than making oh. gut quick reactions. Take a minute and pause and, and check. And I like the way you said that even though you're talking about intuition, you're checking with your values. Yeah. And I think the more people are aware of their values and their criteria and why those values are relevant and important to them, the more they can do almost a balance and check before being impulsive in the context of a purchase or a, a a decision. And, and yeah. I, I think that's good advice for anyone is, is just pause and maybe sleep on it or yeah. count to 100 or yeah. take 10 or, or whatever the strategy are. There's a lot of very effective strategies, but take a pause and really think it through. And another um, thing that's really worthwhile is project it out into the future. Mm -hmm. I think, Sonia, some people are so caught up in the now and immediate gratification yeah. that they project it a little ways into the future and say, how will this decision affect me a year from now, six months from now, five years from now? Yeah. If I were looking back on myself now, would I think this is a good decision and wow. why or why not? So it's almost, as a coach, I'm sure you can appreciate this. It's almost like Absolutely. we can dissociate and, and coach ourselves sometimes. And that's beneficial where we can dissociate and say, hey, if I were a fly on the wall, would I think I'm making a good decision right now? Would I think this is in my best interest? And then evaluate it from that perspective. And, and very often, that'll give us a way of going back, pausing for a minute and thinking through, is this in my best interest? And, and is it in the now in my best interest as well as in the future? Yeah, absolutely. I love reverse engineering goals into plans and schedules and all that stuff. But actually, that perspective is, is, is great because besides like mirroring with your values, it's also like really looking back, okay, am I as an observer going to be happy with, with this decision? And isn't it this scarcity decision? Isn't it, I want this right now, I want the instant gratification? Or is this actually compounding into the vision that I have for my future? And I think another interesting thing, Sonia, you mentioned earlier, you've got two children. Yeah. I think the other piece is considering holistically, how does this affect the people and, and the things around me that are important to me? So back to the whole, you know, influencing with integrity, it, it's also how do I make decisions based on those that are important to me as a, a whole system, as opposed to just what's best selfishly for me. And, mm -hmm. and I think that it just makes us better people when we consider those around us and the impact our choices and decisions have on them as well.
Yeah, absolutely. And if someone is very ambitious and wouldn't think about it right away, it will show up in their subconscious mind and it will block them from actually taking action or they procrastinate and they don't know what, what it's coming from, right? So they actually, they think, okay, but if I would travel this much, would my kids be really unhappy with that? Or how will it influence everything in a couple of years? It's interesting. Whenever I, I used to do coaching full-time and I had a private practice for years mm -hmm. and get referrals from doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists, a range of different people, mm -hmm. natural health practitioners, and a lot of referrals. And, and one of the things when I found people having difficulty making decisions, whether they're teenagers or whether they're senior level executives, it very often boiled down to a lack of clarity on values, number yeah. one. And number two, a values conflict that were they were unaware of. Yeah. And I, I remember one executive that I was coaching, he had a, a need for adventure and one of his values was adventure and one of his other values was safety. And, and his value of adventure and safety were very often- Conflicting. <laughs> in the context of he'd go to, to go parachuting for a day, for example, skydiving. He'd get into the plane, he'd go through everything he needed to to practice on the ground, and then he couldn't get himself to jump. And yeah. it's like the sense of adventure got him in the air and the sense of safety prevented him from jumping. And so it was only when we clarified the criteria connected with those two values that he was able to congruently go skydiving and fulfill his criteria for adventure and for safety simultaneously. Yeah. So I think that's a key thing. And I'm sure you're well aware of that as a coach as well. It's one of the key yeah. things. When people have those, I want to, but I don't, or those parts that need integrated, part of me thinks this, or part of me thinks that, or values conflicts, it's really a matter of digging a little deeper, and it's stuff that's usually outside of their awareness. Yeah, because some people just give themselves an identity of someone who, for example, fails, or they give themselves an identity of someone who procrastinates, or who is a perfectionist, while it just can be conflicting needs and values. So... I would recommend, and also from personal experience, by hitting some blocks in, in, into my own transformations, have your, at least your five values, have them always in eyesight until you just know how to get them through the, the, the wheel of decision-making, to say so, or your process of decision-making. So you're so, so on point. So let's talk a little bit about clarity, right? So I am passionate about people stepping into their potential, doing what they love, being really passionate and high energy and following what they, what they want to achieve without all the blocks and also achieve a level of fulfillment. How do you feel that someone who is a high achiever or a high performer can achieve that level of fulfillment and what can they implement daily? I, I think maintaining focus on your why. Mm -hmm. and, and I always say that why is one of the most detrimental questions that we can ask in the wrong context and one of the most advantageous questions that we can ask in the right context. Yeah. And we refer to, in my book, we refer to mapping out a current state and a desired state and our thinking, our feeling, and our, our doing. What's our, our thinking like and, and why? If we ask why, for example, if I forget something and I say, oh, why am I so forgetful? It's the worst context to ask that why question. Because my brain will just give me all the reasons why I forget. Oh, because okay. I'm, I'm just a forgetful person back to the identity level, or I've always had a bad memory or, and we'll create a story about why we forget. So I think if we're clear on the why our goals are important, then we'll daily be refreshed by that passion that we have and a reason 
why we want to accomplish it. And if we have a compelling and strong enough why, I believe we can overcome just about any obstacle. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And also eliminating the things that you think that might influence your like very important values like a family, just thinking about a creative solution, right? So tell us more about the book. So Ignite a Shift. What what was your most exciting chapter and why? I, I That's hard to narrow it down. A friend of mine who's got a PhD <laughs> in neuroscience was one of the reviewers and he said, any one of the chapters could be another book in and of itself. Wow, that's such a great compliment. It was. It was. It was very flattering. I, I told him I was very, uh, very complimented by it. I think we start off really looking at a strategy, an underlying strategy for influence, whether it's us influencing someone else or us influencing ourselves. And it, it's really about mapping out where are we now, where do we want to get to, and what are our goals. And then what are those shorter term goals that lead to those longer term goals? So we really break that down into the psychology of how it works and look at how our thinking, what we're talking about, our beliefs, our values, and the stories we tell ourselves impact our our state. And whether we're not, whether we're in a procrastination state or an achievement state or an energetic state or a complacent state, the states that we're in are created by the mindset that we have. And so we really evaluate that out of the gate and we challenge people to create a plan. And as they go through the book, each chapter will give them more techniques to advance that plan forward. And yeah, so, so they're igniting the shifts through the chapters. They're actually changing their state and to be able to implement the chapter. Is that, is that correct? That's correct. At the end of each chapter, we have a shifted exercise. Oh, that's and so good. <laughs> the purpose of the shifted exercise yeah. is so... And here's, here's the deal, Sonia. So many people, and this is well documented in the research, so many people buy the personal development courses or the books and they sit in their libraries and they they listen to maybe one DVD or or, or the first chapter or they read it and then it it, it sits on their on their shelves. It's it's less about the acquisition of information, it's the application. So we coach people as they go through the book, chapter by chapter. In in fact, we're just finishing off an e-learning companion guide that's going to be launched next year to go chapter by chapter with the book that has video vignettes and has interactive exercises that really gets people to apply the tools in their lives. And I I think it's the application, to your point, that actually gets us the results. Uh, I know lots of people that have lots of knowledge and that are really intelligent. Yeah. Not much very little in life because they don't take the actions required. Exactly. So it's it's, it's just like a, a waste to have a lot of knowledge and then not implement it, right? So I, I have this tool when I read a book, which is very important to me, or it, it speaks to me and I just get guided that I need to read a book. Then I actually promise myself that I would put down some notes, which I would finish today, right? So so that it doesn't become more of a gem of knowledge and not being more of knowledge, but actually applied knowledge so that I can test, test it out myself and see how it works for me in that stage of life. So it's more of an experience, the book, right? It's an experience you're taking them through. So what is your ultimate end journey? What would you like your your readers to get out of this? When people walk away after having read the book and, and send us endorsements or testimonies and say, it's changed the way I parent. I wish I had this when I was, when I first had my kids, now they're grown up. Or I wish I had this when I started my career or it, it's changed the way I communicate with my spouse. To me, that's a big win. Like if people yeah. go and, and they walk away with each chapter with, 
one nugget that they go and apply in their life to improve the quality of how they interact with themselves and others. That for me is, is really fulfilling in the context of writing the book in the first place. Writing a book was never something, I, as I said, set out to do. Now that we have it done and, and it's been received so well, I think part of it is because we didn't write it just for the sake of writing a book. We wrote it to communicate information that I think people need in their lives. And, and I strongly believe it will improve the quality of their lives and the quality of how they relate to others as well mm -hmm. as to themselves. So when they, when they walk away and, and they walk away with those aha moments, and one small thing, which again, as a coach, I'm sure you're aware of, it's even things like stating in the positive. As a parent, when you say to a child, don't spill your milk, Mm. The first thing that child imagined doing is spilling their milk. Spilling the milk. The focus is on spilling the milk. Spilling the milk, <laughs> right? So I always tell people, even walk away with that one thing and go apply it in your life. And instead of thinking about what you don't want, because the more we focus on what we don't want, the more of it we get. Focus on what you do want instead. And, and the more we focus on what we want as a goal or as an outcome or as an objective, the more we'll be able to take the steps to move in that direction. Whereas the more we focus on what we don't want, the more we keep our brain trapped in that area. And that's one of the reasons, another thing we talk with our clients about regularly, is I always say, I don't believe in objection handling. And yeah. when we deal with salespeople, neither. <laughs> they can stop look on their faces, right? Because yeah. they've trained their whole career to handle objections. Yeah. And I do magic as a hobby, and, and I, I usually do a, in a, a small illusion or magic trick when I open up a, a, a training session to yeah. engage people's imagination and their attention yeah. And to show them how easy it is to direct their attention. And I always say when we handle an objection, not only do we keep our focus on that objection, we keep the customer's focus there as well. And mm -hmm. I've seen senior salespeople be so well trained to handle objections, they preemptively bring them up. And it was never in the mind of the customer to begin with until they brought it up. Yeah, and, and now they're like, starting to doubt it. <laughs> right, exactly. So oh, I was saying, I think about that. So, yeah. <laughs> I always say rather than managing objections, yeah. or rather than handling objections, rather, manage perception and, yeah. and notice how are they thinking? Is the way they're thinking about this accurate and useful? If it's not, how do I want them thinking instead? And then how do I engage in a dialogue and a conversation that in, moves and shifts their imagination in a different direction? Yeah. And, and when we do that, it's a much more useful way to focus our, our interactions with clients and, and our dialogue with ourselves as well. So what do we want as opposed to what don't we want? Yeah, so also in sales, there is a, a lot of strategies. And I've been a sales manager for two decades. And now in the online space, I get to see everything. <laughs> I get to observe everything. So with sales, I'm used to handling a sales conversation. What you say on, on giving them different perspectives and really listening and tailor make and see if it's a right fit and solution. But there are also people who are really focused on what you say, handling objections. How can they change some words strategically in order for them to shift the perspective of the client in what they will get out of the service instead of focusing on how to handle objections? Yeah. The, the first thing we do is say, write down objection handling yeah. and then draw lines. <laughs> and, yeah. and underneath it or on top of it, preferably either way, whatever you prefer, put perception management. Yeah, and, and, and this is, again, back to what we cover in chapter one of the book. Write down what's the current perception and what's my current perception with regards to something. Is my current perception I can accomplish it or my current perception is I can't or it'll be easy or it'll be difficult. What's my current perception and what's a more useful perception for me to have? What's a more useful way for me to think about it? 
And if I were to think about it that way, what beliefs would I have that are different from the old beliefs? So a lot of it is really updating our beliefs so that they're more empowering in the context of accomplishing our outcomes and looking at, again, rather than focusing on that objection, think of it as just a perception. And it's easy to change perceptions and how they're currently thinking. How do I want them thinking instead? And then how do I engage questions, for example? Questions are, we have a whole chapter dedicated to advanced questions in the book. Because questions allow us to engage the imagination and send it on a quest. If we look at the origins of the word question, it's the Latin roots at questio, which means to seek or to go on a quest. So when we ask ourselves a question like, why am I so forgetful? We send our brain on a quest to justify forgetfulness. Yeah. When we ask ourselves a question, what would make it easier to remember? We send our brain on a quest to come up with a strategy for remembering. Yes, so, exactly. Your your mind or your subconscious is leading what you are focusing on. So, absolutely. And and it, I was just speaking, it, it may be a weird example, but I was just speaking with Stephen and I was telling about me entering a challenge where I had to drink, where I have to drink a gallon of water a day, which is a lot for my body. I always felt that I always had like 20 years of the belief, I cannot drink more than half a gallon. And I really tried with abs and all of that stuff. But I just couldn't do it. That's a story that I told myself. And now that I know it's part of a challenge, I like challenges. <laughs> so I thought, okay, let's just prove me right or wrong. If you want to go through this challenge like the way you should, you must drink a gallon of water. So I came up with a plan. And guess what? I'm drinking a gallon of water. And guess what? It's not that hard. And guess what? Another belief that I've been like pounding in my mind has stopped me from actually achieving my goal, even if it's like a small thing like this, but it actually applies to everything. Don't you feel that like our beliefs are driving a lot of the emotions we feel and the decisions we make? I, I think whether we believe we can or whether we believe we can't, we end up proving ourselves right. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy to some extent. Yeah. And our conscious minds attract the resources into our lives that prove us right, whether we believe we can or whether we believe we can't. Yeah. And I think it's really important to, in fact, when I used to do coach full-time, I used to get people to do a beliefs inventory and a values inventory. Wow. And like you mentioned earlier, to map out, I used to do their top 10 values and then narrow it down to the top five, but I get them to map out 10 and then to hierarchy them in the top fives, create yeah. a hierarchy. I'm doing and that so, same thing. <laughs> And, and the same with beliefs. I, yeah. I would get to map out what they believe to be empowering beliefs and disempowering beliefs. Yeah. And then get them to modify the disempowering beliefs and turn them into or, or transform yeah. them into empowering beliefs. Yeah. And but I think those are really key things for people to evaluate. What beliefs do I have that are disempowering? What beliefs do I have that are empowering? And how do I take the disempowering ones and, and map them into more empowering beliefs? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is so important to do that because it can actually change your trajectory, your life, your future and what you are creating. So about the the, the, the e-course that you're going to launch next year to support Ignite the Shift. Yeah. Who is it for? Well, who is the ideal customer to... For, or it's, it's for anybody. 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 It's for anyone that reads the book. Yeah. Our, our primary audience is our corporate audience. And yeah. so we've already had a few clients buy it without even seeing it, just based on the results that we've gotten with them business-wise. Yeah, exactly. Exposed to the book. So they wanted, it, it's really a, a self-guided learning adventure where people go through chapter by chapter with the book and, and really dig a little deeper into the application. 
And as we mentioned earlier, it's the application that really gets us the results. We can all sit around and go, I know the difference between an open and a closed question, or I know what I'm supposed to do. It's not knowing it. It's taking action and actually doing it. And yeah. that's what the e-companion is, is designed to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say there are a lot of people that have this procrastination or just postponing because of the beliefs and the set of emotions they have, right? Driving their decision behavior and maybe procrastinated on what they think is possible or not possible for them. So actually doing it will will, will give you information. That's what I say. <laughs> it's that you it will give you word. information and not doing it will not give you anything. Yeah, that's right? absolutely. So I, uh, when you say procrastination, it's one of the words I, I find fascinating. Because people say, oh, procrastination is bad. I said, it depends on the context. If you're going to procrastinate on death, it's probably a, a good thing to do. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> procrastination, it, it's like everything else in life. If in one context, it could be useful. In a different context, it's, it's less than useful. So yeah. I think it's really evaluating the context in which we're dealing with and then what's useful in that context for ourselves and for others. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So could you share like an inspiring story of life change? Of course, you had so many reviews, but just one that really comes in your consciousness right now, which you would love to share, which made a great big impact on your I, I remember this is less to do with the book. This is more private practice. Oh, that's, I, that's good too. <laughs> I, I remember one young gentleman that had a phobia of needles and he was so severe. When he was a, a kid, a, a nurse was giving him an injection and the needle hit the bone. And wow. uh, he developed this severe phobia that generalized to anything medically related. So if he saw someone putting on medical gloves, he would pass out cold and lose bladder control. If he saw an ambulance on a television, he'd pass out, pass out cold and lose bladder control. So he was referred to me after seeing neurologists and pediatrician and the various appropriate people. And everything biologically, neurologically was eliminated, he was referred to me and I, I worked with him with hypnosis on figuring out how's he running his brain. So I looked at it as a behavior and thought, how is he running his brain that's generating this behavior and how is he doing it so well? And so what I found out was he was imagining needles being these massive steel things flying at him. And so when we found out how he was coding it in his brain, how he was running this program, we literally changed the coding. And we shrank the needles down. We made them plastic and rubber. And we had them bend and bounce off him. And so he, instead of passing out, he would see these things now in his mind as being these small little rubber things that would bounce off him rather than these giant steel things that were going to kill him. And so, again, just how powerful the mind is in impacting the states that we're in. And we got him within a few sessions where he is able to watch things on television that previously he wasn't able to watch because yeah. he was so cold and lose bladder control. And he could no longer go to school. So when his dad walked into the room, into the office, and and saw him watching these things that normally, and laughing, when normally he'd be passed out cold, father just broke into tears. And and oh, I didn't realize it was, it was the dad's birthday that day. And the dad said, wow, this is the best birthday gift I could possibly have and I've ever had in my whole life. Oh, and the son just jumped up and gave him a big hug. And he said, it's unbelievable. I'm no longer, and he, in his terms were, I no longer pass out cold like a sack of potatoes and pee myself. Yeah. And so just seeing that kind of shift. That is a complete life, life experience changed. Yeah. So I got lots of those stories, but that's one that, that sticks in my mind just because it was so unusual. But he was running his program in his brain 
so yeah. effectively that he was creating a state of fear that caused him to pass out. Yeah. And, and that's pretty powerful. That's how powerful the mind is in the context of generating states and, and impacting our ability to accomplish things. Yeah, and this can be something that you compounded in your mind or or you just got it from your environment over and over and over again and then just reinforcing that. But it can also happen from a physical experience like this. I actually have a little story, little, I mean, it's a big story, but I'll keep it short about my personal experience with losing my child and what actually happened to me because it was so sudden and unexpected and they never found out why it was, is that I created like this subconscious fear of loss. So whenever I had to do this huge thing, I would like overthink it like into the detail because if I felt pain, then I thought I would have excruciating pain, right? The, the, I, because I had excruciating pain losing the child. So lots of stuff can be happening subconsciously, like on a subconscious level. And actually, even if you do it yourself at home, right? And just imagine what kind of picture it gives you and how you could change that picture into something less severe, like you just explained, can be very, very helpful. Just like being really in touch with, okay, what kind of picture does my mind or body get from, from this experience at this moment? And what if I would change the form or what, what if I would be like really present with the form? And, and there's, I mean, this goes back to the sort of late 70s, early 80s, Dr. John Grinder and Dr. Richard Bandler. Yeah. Uh, with discovered. NLP. Yeah. Discovered that that all this stuff was how we code things in our mind. That yeah. to that nobody had had really decoded it or or figured out what the recipe was. Yeah. And look, so I think those two guys were just geniuses at at really figuring out. I mentioned Dr. Milton Erickson earlier, who was a psychiatrist, and Fritz Perls and Gestalt therapy, and Virginia Satir, marriage and family therapist, and these people that were just getting exceptional results. And John and Richard were able to decode it and figure out what the patterns were and map it out so that we could learn from it. And you mentioned earlier Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins studied under John and Richard, and, and yeah. that's where he got a lot of his core principles. Yeah. Uh, although it, it sounds like he invented it himself. I can take you back to where all yeah. that stuff was from in the early days of neurolinguistics. Yes. And I yes. think it's important to give credit where credit's due. It's it's John and Richard that really figured out how all this was coded in our brain yes. and how it gets the, the whole idea of the way that we think, the way that we process things, it gets coded in our nervous system, which creates our behaviors. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and there is another one that I would like to mention is Dr. Nelson, which wrote Emotion Code and actually the trapped emotions you have in your body, reinforcing any beliefs or associations you have, which can cause anxiety and all of that stuff is a very interesting read too because you can actually use your subconscious to unleash some of those trapped emotions well, you say that so many options yeah Dr. Erickson said the client your client will be your client so long as they're out of rapport with their unconscious mind mm -hmm. in other words the more we yeah. are self-aware the more we tap into what's typically outside of our awareness yeah. the more or we have with our unconscious mind, the more we can work those things through and, and, and integrate the learnings in a more useful way. And very often, and I've seen this with post-traumatic stress and with things like yeah. uh, sexual abuse in the past, where people yeah. associate into those things and relive them in the now, as opposed to extracting the learnings and, and moving the memories into the past.
Yeah. So it's fascinating how powerful the brain is and how much of it lies outside of our our very own awareness, like you said. And it says also a lot about potential and why people should take action, no matter what, because it is possible to create yeah. what you want. It's, it's just, and, and specifically, what, what do you love, right? Because we have been talking about success and fulfillment, because if you end up successful and you're not fulfilled, it doesn't make sense, right? So <laughs> another thing that I would just encourage your listeners is find a good qualified coach because there's coaches out are out there a dime a dozen. Everybody that gets laid off or packaged out or restructured these days decides they're going to be a coach. And, and there's very few of them that I would trust myself with or my mind with. Yes. So I say do your research and really find somebody like yourself, like find a qualified coach that has some background in something that's solid as opposed to just took a coaching accreditation program for a yeah. weekend or something. Yeah. I mean, your mind is very powerful in the ling language and linguistic tools. People, and I've seen this, people get referred to me in private practice that have been to other therapists or coaches that have gotten more damage and harm done than yes. anything else because they, they just lack the skill and the no depth of knowledge to appropriately facilitate those shifts and changes. Absolutely. So, I think it is important if somebody's you know, dealing with anything deeper psychologically yeah. or any deep pain. Like it sounds like you went through quite a bit with the loss of a child. Was was that prior to birth or was that after birth out of curiosity? I actually we had a medical medical thing, so we 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 actually had like five percent only to become parents at all. <laughs> we had to travel to Belgium in order for us to even stand a chance. And yeah, and then it was very painful to lose the first child, like at the end of the pregnancy. So yeah, that that's one of my experiences and that that I have by years, I didn't know how to cope with that. I just pushed it away, right? I just, I tried to get it out, but it, 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 it didn't happen. I couldn't get it out in any way or sense. And I actually solved the problem myself by doing this work and actually also coaching people. And I've been coaching for two decades. So what you say, coaching is an art and a craft. And you need to learn also by experience, not only by book or knowledge or... And a lot of, a lot of people tend to repress negative emotions. Yeah. And, and that that's harmful. Those That repression of those negative emotions is. Is, is bad for the system overall. So I think it's really understanding how to cope with those effectively. Uh, as I said, extract the learnings from the experience. Uh, and, and then, as you mentioned earlier, we can recope. We can't change history. We can't yeah. change what happened. What we can change is how our mind codes it and therefore how we respond emotionally to it. And, and I'm happy to hear that you've worked your way through that because that for a lot of people, they can get stuck in that for, for a lifetime. And it, it's so really I, I, I still get like the, these uh, subconscious nudges, right? But I, I just know I can observe them now. I know what it is. And I, now I have my techniques, how to handle it. It's not, not always easy because sometimes it really shows up. And I think, okay, so here it is again, <laughs> right? But it's, well, it's interesting because no as I'm watching you, I see your eyes go up into the right and your language is saying when I, I can observe them, yeah. uh, which is dissociative language pattern. So yeah. you've coped by dissociating in some way yeah. and we're observing and your eyes are moving in the right in the same direction it's it's amazing how forceful we are as human beings yes. and that's why i say find someone with the skill not everybody's as fortunate as you that were able to work their way through it by themselves yeah uh, so I, I actually did the nlp because of because of this thing that i because i had suppressed it for so long that it even ended up in, in, in PTSS, right? When I had to get, 
now I have two kids. So, and the second one it was one is a son. So, but when I, I started getting nightmares, I started getting like all these things yeah, attached to PTSS and all these complaints and pain in the body and all of this stuff. And it's because I suppressed it. Right. So, and then I just figured out through EMDR and I don't know what I've been doing, all of that, that it is something that I had to be willing to let go, which was the ultimate problem, which I didn't want, especially. And then when I got a son, it was so confronting that I had to push myself into the state of letting go and forgiveness. And I think I'm like 75% there, but there is there, there sometimes something stays left when it's such a shock to your body and emotions and and I was like when when I had to give birth to my first son it was just like this huge bit slap of of life like huge I never experienced so much pain but also not so much love in the same place I was well, just that like that so must be so rewarding for you to have children now when you wow too much trouble conceiving and, and having them in the first place. So that's, I'm so happy for absolutely, you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the good news, oh Sonia, yeah. as I'm listening to your story, I'm reminded that we're all a work in progress. And absolutely. I think that's the beauty with us as human beings, that it's, it's a journey as opposed to a destination. It's how do we support and learn from each other? And, and how do we move through this life in a way that, that, that is most useful and most supportive of those around us? Yeah. And my and my son, which I lost, has a profound impact on my on my life today. And I might not know if I would be doing all of this if that wouldn't happen to me and some other stuff, right? Would I be in the direction where I and have the same emotions and the curiosity to develop this higher consciousness to say so in order for me to yeah cope with the own story in life? So stories are super powerful, yeah. if, even if it's like in your own life or if you want to sell. If you want to market, at the beginning, I was not that vulnerable. And now I feel just like when you share your story, it's just, it can be so profound and shifting for someone else's life. So I now encourage it, just share the story. I, I, I think stories are, are powerful and sharing them helps others realize that they're there, there are others that have gone through similar things. They're not, they're not alone. Others have gone through a, a path very similar in some cases to what they've gone through. One of my favorite books to recommend to people is Man's Search for Meaning by Dr. Viktor Frankl. So and how it's less about what we experience. It's more about how we choose to code it and how we, the meaning we attach to it. And, and I uh -huh. think along this line is, is part of being human. It, it's, I believe God created us in his image and, and we're so wonderfully and marvelously made and sometimes we get in our own way and, and it's really recognizing that we have the best of intention behind these things. So when someone experiences some, something that's painful, repress it, not, not because repressing is the best strategy, repress it because repressing it has a positive intention mm -hmm. to neutralize and minimize the pain in the now. Exactly. Um, people that go through traumatic events in the past, I, I mean, we could spend the next day talking about yeah. this stuff. <laughs> Think so too. Diving deeply into it, but it, it it gets beyond what's useful for the average listener, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. Stephen, how can people follow you, find out more about you, get the book? They can, they can I'll plug the book selfishly. This is what the book looks like. You can see the, the bestseller status on the top there. They can get it on our website. They can get it anywhere Burns and Noble, Chapters, Indigo, anywhere where book, good books are sold. It's in a lot of the stores and it's everywhere online. And on our website, you can go there directly. It's solutionsinmind.com. 
It's www.solutions, S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S-N-I-N, mind, all one word, dot com. Mm, that's amazing. So one last question. What is the one question that nobody ever asks you, but you would love to answer? That's a good question. No one's ever asked me that one before. <laughs> I, I think the question is, what's behind the question? And, and so I, I think when people ask questions, my curiosity is always, what led to that question being asked? Mm. And, and very often the answer is in the question itself and they wow. want to confirm something that they already know at an unconscious level. So a lot of times when someone asks me a question, I'll say, that's an interesting question. What got you to ask me that? And when I say, what got you to ask me that? I very often get past that conscious level response and, and get them either digging a little deeper, peeling back the layers of the onion and getting them to think about their own thinking which I think is useful for all of us. So that's one of my favorite ones is to respond to a question with a question. That's an interesting question. What got you to ask me that? And that'll very often deepen the level of conversation and really give you insight into that other person that you never would have had if you'd simply answered their question. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for the huge value. And we will be next here week here it's level up with another expert thank you for listening to this episode of the vault respect for showing up and creating your next stage of life and business if you like this episode i invite you to dive deeper and stay the s stands for subscribe and share make a screenshot right now and pay it forward and send this to five friends who can benefit from this value the T stands for try and transform. Try the technique, at least until the next episode. The A stands for action. Action creates success. Don't stay a student when you have a code. You should try to open the vault. And finally, the Y stands for you. This is about the most valuable asset of the vault and life in general. The one and only authentic you. So if this was your code, please comment and help the vault grow. Hashtag unlocked, hashtag next level, hashtag dive deeper, and see you next week to level up again.